Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. And uh, today I'm going to be talking about the Austrian economist Friedrich Hayek. Uh, one of the reasons, well, the chief reason to talk about Hayek really is that the arguments that he has proposed and throughout his career um, really shape the economic world around us and have done so since the, from the 1970s onwards. Um, he's something of an enigmatic character to, to most people um, and his uh, name probably means very little to um, the majority of people who are affected by the ideas uh, that he um, proposed, but uh, Hayek has been uh, is one of the kind of the chief um, economic um, and ideological um, figures of the twentieth century, and he, uh, every major world economy now, um, with perhaps the exception of North Korea, but you can't really describe that as a major world economy anyway, um, uh, has been fundamentally shaped by uh, Hayek's classic uh, liberal economic stance. For those of you who aren't economists, I'm just going to talk a little bit uh, about some of the ideas that constitute uh, classical uh, economics. Um, the classical economics, uh, the nor term classical normally predates back to Roman Greece. Now, we're not talking about that. Um, classical economics are really is really the kind of the, the school of economics that in uh, sort of emerged um, during the be very beginnings of um, industrialized and mercantile society in Europe uh, in the uh, 18th century perhaps the just the end of the 17th beginning of the 18th century um, during the enlightenment um, it's an idea uh, that dates back to really um, a handful of thinkers um, the uh, most important, uh, most influential uh, two being Adam Smith and David Ricardo. And the third, um, and the slightly less um, well-known, uh, Thomas Malthus, who is obviously uh, known for his um, understanding or his um, understanding of things like populations, demographics and famines. In 1776, Adam Smith, a Scottish economist, wrote The Wealth of Nations, in which he was attempting to uh, really uh, understand, write a philosophical work that um, helped us to understand this new world of markets in which we were living and how markets could best be used 
to distribute uh, in an utilitarian way the greatest good to the greatest number. And the, um, the argument that he set forth was this. The marketplace was a, a place where consumers and producers met and that producers would seek to maximise profit whereas consumers would seek to maximise both utility and value. And thus, from this interaction, competition would emerge, and competition was perhaps the best thing for reducing this utilitarian result, equity for all. The best products at the best prices would be created, uh, and that labour, people, the amount that people charge for their wages, would also be regulated in this fashion, um, that better workers would be able to charge more, and the workers in general would have to compete in order to provide their labour on the marketplace. This combined with the ability of countries to diversify and specialise in certain um, products and services and raw materials over others would mean that eventually all countries would be able to trade on their comparative advantages. One country would have specialised in one commodity, another in a, a different one, and they would be able eventually to have a means of equitable exchange. Now, this model of the economy required on uh, an, uh, a notion that Smith put forward, and he actually said this, by the way, in the world can never exist, but it's an, a nice idea, it was, uh, of this idea of perfect information, that for, um, for an individual in a marketplace to be able to maximise utility and value and not wind up ultimately being, for want of a better word, exploited by the manufacturer, maker or seller, one needed to have perfect information to know all one's options and to be able to have a fully rational judgment about the right thing to purchase. Uh, we live in a world where advertising, for example, makes the notion of perfect information pretty much negligible. Um, the uh, Smithian premise was that um, for a perfect economy to operate, nobody would have a monopoly of market power over anybody else. And Smith fully accepted that this was unlikely to ever occur. The people who now uh, embrace um, Adam Smith's notions that very often tend to kind of ignore that one little bit of it. So these were the, the classical economic precepts um, that uh, this is ideally how a market society should work. And you, you can't blame Adam Smith really for coming up with this very simplistic notion because here he is right at the very beginnings of the modern capitalist world and trying to work out in a, a kind of a, a, uh, an armchair kind of way how it all how it was all how it all worked and how it was all happening and, and why it was happening as it did um it would be like um somebody today trying to uh, without any technical knowledge really work out what the internet was you know is it, the internet is a kind of a, a modern phenomenon of equivalent complexity and um novelty i guess anyway moving on to friedrich hayek by the time that Friedrich Hayek was writing um, from the 1930s onwards, the uh, industrialised Western world had had well over a century of experience of the workings and the failings of markets and the idea that um, classical economics really could provide solutions 
was uh, something of a, um, a, a very antiquated and backward idea. Not only had there been, uh, throughout the 19th century, equivalent of one major economic slump uh, nearly every decade, there had been, obviously, throughout the 1930s, uh, the Great Depression. Um, the uh, idea, particularly after World War II, that um, classical economics was was of, of any use at all, really, without the intervention of the state in some major way to correct flaws within the market, was really only held on kind of remote fringes of uh, political and economic and philosophical uh, respectability. By the time you get to the mid-1950s, under the, uh, the era of Harold Macmillan, you only have a handful of, of quite extreme figures within the Conservative Party, led by Enoch Powell who um, really believe in uh, unfettered free market capitalism. However, by the 1970s, people like Hayek were being widely read within the Conservative Party in Britain and within both the Republican and Democrat parties in America and being quoted and being um, resurrected and Hayek's famous book, The Road to Serfdom, which I'll talk about more in just a moment, was being uh, brought back into uh, into circulation in uh, in sort of academic and political circles. So the question is, in such a short space of time, in a couple of decades between the 1950s and the 1970s, what changed? Now, um, here here is where it gets interesting. Our economic thinking uh, from the 1970s onwards has been um, dominated by these notions of modernisation. Uh, everyone from Margaret Thatcher to Tony Blair has gone on about modernising the unions, modernising the public sector, modernising this, that and the other. However, the ideas that they were proposing in, to bring about these modernisations are actually very antiquated, very old ideas um, they are ideas that were really the, the stuff of kind of Gladstonian liberalism and high Toryism of the 1870s and 80s. And not only were they uh, quite old-fashioned views um, in, in general terms, um, they had been incubated in the most unlikely of places, uh, post-war Vienna, after uh, the defeat of the Habsburg Empire in 1918. Five intellectuals from post-war Vienna, Ludwig von Mises, uh, Joseph Schumpeter, Karl Popper, Peter Drucker and Friedrich Hayek, sought to create uh, an explanation as to why uh, liberal Austria uh, that existed, uh, the small Austrian Republic that existed after 1918, collapsed first to a kind of a brief um, socialist experiment and then later to kind of uh, nationalist, fascist, and then Nazi tyranny uh, by the, the late 1930s. And their, their arguments were, in essence, that um, it had begun with the socialist government. All men, as uh, intellectuals, had fled into exile uh, when the um, uh, fascism of uh, Chancellor Dolphus took power, um, and they were um, typical of these kind of Central European emigres um, who had to found um, solace in Western university departments in Britain and America. And the answer they proposed um, to the uh, question of how Nazism or fascism and then 
um, German Nazism had taken over in Austria, was that um, it was really the fault of the uh, socialist, the original socialist um, uh, states, centralised planning and their kind of totalitarian, in their view, control over the economy. That this had had a profound effect, not just on the economics of uh, Austria, but as a result on the politics of Austria too. There had been, um, as a result of this uh, intervention in this, of the state into the lives of individuals, a reaction against socialism, which resulted in their eyes in fascism. The failure of the left in the eyes of Hayek and his contemporaries was that the left, um, influenced by Marxism, believed that they had seen um, a, a dialectic, a this um, pattern in history. The, uh, they believed they had understood the process by which historical change came about and how we went from one phase of history to another and class struggle and revolution and the Marxist model of history and all that. Um, and that they, as a result, had faith in the, the rational powers of man, the ability of men to um, understand their exploitation and to overthrow capitalism, embrace socialism and create these wonderful utopias that are supposedly going to come about. And in the failure that, they, um, that the left indulged in, as far as Hayek was concerned, was being wrong, in that people were not rational in this way and were not... Um, Man, man is not in essence good. Um. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And the failure of the socialist experiment in Austria led the door open to fascism. Now, this theory, I'm not saying it's particularly sound. I think there are an awful lot of problems with it. But it was immensely popular... Um, particularly when it was espoused by Hayek in his book *The Road to Serfdom*, and Hayek argued that really uh, the, the the problem of the of the individual in the twentieth century is the expansion and the growth of the state in this slightly amorphous fashion, and as the state grows, the individual atrophies, 
um, the state um, takes on more responsibility, the individual surrenders those. And instead of this being a kind of a, a cosy social democracy where people have free healthcare and things like that, it leads to a kind of enslavement of the individual. Liberty in Hayek's view, uh, personal liberty, civil rights, political freedoms, religious freedoms, you name it, could only be obtained by keeping the state at bay, particularly keeping the state out of economic life. The moment the state starts to get in there, according to Hayek, it starts to get into jam up the delicate workings of the market and economic crisis precipitates political crisis, which precipitates the the threat of some kind of totalitarianism. When the political classes are held at bay, uh, even the well-intentioned ones that hope to affect the quality of people's lives for the better, you safeguard freedom, not from those people particularly, not from the democratic politicians who are trying to intervene to improve things, but you save freedom from the, the fascists or the communists who will take over when the democrats have failed. Now, if you think about it, every intellectual of the post-war era, um, people like Hannah Arendt or Albert Camus, were chiefly interested in this one question. What had happened between 1918 and 1939 to make a Second World War happen? What had happened to make Nazism? What had happened to uh, enable the Holocaust to occur? This was and the, you know, the pivotal intellectual question of the day really until probably the end of the cold war and so you can hardly blame hayek really for musing over this one and his perspective uh, was perhaps perhaps slightly tainted in a way by being so close to the situation and being in you know in many ways a victim of the nazis having to flee his native austria Men like John Maynard Keynes, um, who had completely different views to Hayek and who, who believed really that the, uh, the state had a role, uh, believed that the, the crises of the 1930s could greatly have been avoided had democratic states taken more of a direct role in ameliorating the extremes of the Great Depression and um, getting involved and creating job creation schemes and that kind of thing. That it's the, the poor, the jobless, the desperate that tend to flock to fascism or communism or whatever extreme you care to mention. When Hayek wrote um, The Road to Serfdom in 1944, the uh, political winds were changing in Britain. You'd had things like the, um, the Beveridge Report, where the uh, basis of the welfare state was uh, laid in um, in clear point-by-point uh, -point analysis, the things that would be needed after the war to create um, a, a modern social democracy. And Beveridge uh, identified the five evils as of squalor, ignorance, want, idleness and disease, and um, from this really our national health service and our uh, comprehensive education system and social security spring from. And there was a, um, a, a shift really in the population throughout the war um, to embrace not only um, notions of, of social democracy that had not been um, widespread prior to that, but also a, uh, um, an acceptance that the state had a crucial role to play and that state intervention, state planning, nationalisation and, and uh, all of this, a much, much expanded state in the second half of the 20th century would help to build the Britain 
that the majority of people throughout World War II had wanted to see. Here's what Hayek had to say on the subject. He said, No description in general terms can give an adequate idea of the similarity of much of current English political literature to the works which destroyed the belief in Western civilization in Germany and created the state of mind in which Nazism could become successful. So he was saying there that um, the, the, the winds of change that were blowing through Britain in the last year or two of the war that result in the Labour government of 1945, these kinds of ideas were likely to result in a, in a British Nazism. And obviously you have the, the rather ludicrous claims by Winston Churchill in the 1945 general election that Labour would need some kind of Gestapo in order to police its new welfare state. Um, things which were kind of largely laughed off by the British population as they voted for Labour in record numbers in 1945. The idea of um, applying directly um, this model, uh, this Austrian model, to any uh, democratic nation that sought to expand state welfare uh, was seen as, as patently ludicrous and for much of the post-war era uh, was, was laughed off uh, and treated as um, really kind of on the very edges of academic and political and economic respectability. Um, there was an assumption by Hayek that Sweden would follow the same model and that uh, Sweden's um, high degree of state spending, uh, free uh, education and health care and that sort of thing would also precipitate some kind of, of Nazism. Fortunately for Hayek, um, the, the welfare state that he had long been very sceptical about and suspicious of was capable of functioning in an optimal manner during the kind of the mid boom era of from the, the mid nineteen fifties through to the mid nineteen seventies but when the um, uh, global boom that had existed in the mid twentieth century after the second world war started to tail off and lead into a series of recessions really in the seventies eighties and nineties. Hayek um, was able to be a bit more jubilant because he could then demonstrate that the welfare state had not produced the um, the results that he that it was it was claimed to. Um, the what it didn't what it doesn't produce in the Hayek synthesis of things what it doesn't produce obviously is totalitarianism, um, but. As Hayek, now quite late in his life, um, w was popularised once again by the new right, by the, um, uh, the, the the new right in the Conservative Party, the Thatcherites, people who were looking in the 1970s to embrace this idea of neoliberalism, neoclassicism in economics, Hayek starts to lose control of his, his own uh, argument. And the likes of Sir Keith Joseph, Margaret Thatcher, Norman Tebbit in Britain and their uh, fellow travellers in America begin to appropriate elements of Hayek's argument. Um, you'll notice that in um, none of the Conservative Party's literature from the time of Margaret Thatcher's speeches or anything is there a suggestion that fascism might break out in Britain. This would have been patently ludicrous. But... Elements of Hayek, whom she read in the 1970s religiously, um, 
along with uh, the various think tanks, the Institute for Economic Affairs and the Centre for Policy Studies, which are the two key Thatcherite think tanks. Um, these, uh, the, the road to serfdom was a, gr a great way for Margaret Thatcher to uh, appropriate Hayekian ideas into uh, her new economic uh, brand of um, neoliberalism, which was to become Thatcherism, which had an emphasis on the reduction of trade union power, shrinking in the role of the state, uh, control of the money supply using uh, the economic principles of monetarism, which were the brainchild, really, of Milton Friedman, about whom we'll hopefully talk another time. And the, um, the um, introduction of greater flexibility into the labour market to um, hopefully cure the Britain from the twin problems it had in the 1970s of high unemployment and high inflation. In all of this, Hayek's kind of one central principle tends to get lost, and maybe this is a good thing. Maybe this is a good thing because ultimately it appears to be, to some level, largely unworkable. Hayek's notion really was that state planning, anything centralised, has to result in some kind of dictatorship, that the um, the market may not function perfectly all the time, but at least it functions freely. The market doesn't require any kind of coercion. Again, this is a notion that perhaps needs to be challenged as well, in that there are uh, numerous examples we can point to where free markets are created using state coercion. Um, that's kind of another story anyway. I think the ultimate expression of the, the usage of um, the likes of Hayek um, is the, the 2008 crash, born of you know, radical deregulation and the, uh, the, the faith, um, not just amongst the political and the economic classes, but by and large amongst uh, the general public in the Western world, that deregulated capitalism can work, can deliver the goods that other economic systems have failed to do in the past. And by faith, uh, you know, we um, invest in a kind of an, an invisible system of workings which we cannot quantify or, or put a face to. Um, an immense degree of trust that was really largely unconditional up until about 2008. For obvious reasons, it's tailed off in recent years. But the, the reasons why we put our faith in neoliberal capitalism, or why we previously put our faith in neoliberal capitalism, are far, far divorced from the original arguments of Hayek that it was our only safeguard, really, against the emergence of dictatorship. Um, and now it would appear that really even that is not something that holds true in the 21st century. Anyway, um, I hope you found this interesting and useful today and we'll be um, coming back at you in uh, a week, uh, not a week or two, in the next couple of days with the uh, Explaining History Review podcast. We're running a little bit late this month. Uh, but mercifully, Penguin Books have decided to come to our rescue with some great new titles to review in uh, in, in September. Um, look forward to catching you again on the next Explaining History podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 